our sermon today. You may have missed this if you came in late, which it is wonderful to come in late. I've got four kids. We are late to a lot of things. So uh, I know in some churches that's like a big taboo and everyone wants to be, it's okay to get late. I mean, as long as you come here, we're good. Um, the Lord knows the heart. Uh, we, are, we are not a perfect church, but when you come in, even if you are late or you aren't late, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even singling, sing, uh, singling out anyone here. I'm just fact of life. I've grown up in church. We're late all the time. Um, you come in, there's a sign that says, where faith and fellowship create a family. Uh, that's what we hope to be, a, a family. We care for one another. We love one another. Uh, we uh, have disagreements with one another. We have arguments with one another. Uh, we stay to work things out with one another because that's what families do. Um, and uh, so when I start most services here explaining to us uh, that we are not a perfect church, there's a reason for that uh, because we naturally believe we need to be perfect. Um, and we, we want to be accepted, uh, we want to be known, uh, and, and part of being, what we think is being accepted is this image that we want to portray to people. Uh, and then we go about our life knowing that we aren't that thing, but we're projecting that thing, and so we have this conflict within our souls that provides not peace, unrest. God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to find rest in him. There was a seminary professor that uh, I had when I was in seminary. I was just reminded of this recently. He said there's two things that every person in the world ever born desires. That is to be known and to be forgiven. And we all desperately want to be known. Uh, but we are afraid of being known because we're afraid if they know the real thing about us, they're not going to forgive us. They're not going to want us. And last week, if you were here and you were listening, we looked at a psalm that spoke how God knows us. God forgives us. God loves us. And he is working within us to shape and mold us into the people that he's designed us to be. So when we're coming into, into church, our gathering here, uh, there's a lot of things that can go through the mind. There's a lot of stuff that can, that can happen, and, and it can be detrimental to our health and our growth and our walk with Jesus. And so I just want to lay those things aside today. I want to kind of bring everything kind of even the playing field here. And I want to bring us back to some basic things in the beginning of the year before we get into another series, another book um, you know, if you're new with us, we typically just, we will preach through a book. We, we feel like it's a, one of the best ways to learn scripture, to learn what God said, because it's in his context, in his word, following through what the book is there, why it is written, who it was written to, what the message is, so that we can know what the Lord is saying to us. But before we do that, I want to stay with some basic things. Last week was, God loves you. He provides a way for you. His word is there to help you. He knows you're in need of restoration. You, you are in need of, of being able to truly see. You are in need of revival in your heart. He knows those things, and he provides a way for it. You know what this is? This is a Bible. 
This is a Bible. We're in playoff season, so it's kind of a play on uh, Lombardi's, this is a football thing, but this is a Bible. And what is this Bible? It's God's word. Some lamb leather, some paper, trees, ink, but it's God's word. It is, it is the things that God wants to communicate to us here. It tells us about life. It tells us about how creation started. It tells us how we got to where we are. It tells us all about who he is. And it tells about his plan for this world. This is his word. It is alive. I mean, this book itself is not right? This is an inanimate object, but it's alive. His words, you read them. If you've been a Christian a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can sit down in your daily devotions, you're reading, you know, some, something out of the uh, genealogy and chronicles, and then the Lord brings up in your day exactly what you need through what you read. Or he speaks to something that you're going through and you're struggling with and you're wrestling with in your soul that you read. I've read this passage 80 times and I've never seen this before. It speaks. God's word speaks. It's powerful. It's active. It's sufficient for us to grow, to know, to learn, to be refreshed, revived. Last, last week, the, the Psalm 19 refreshes us. It revives us. It helps us to walk in the right paths. It's good for us. It's God's word. And it tells us that God loves us. It also tells us how he has called us to live in this world. It, it, it helps us understand how we are to grow. Right? One of our, our mission statements is to help people to uh, grow to maturity in what they believe and how they live. Well, how do you actually do that? Well, today, that's the subject I want to address. I want to look at how we actually grow in maturity. What is the engine of our maturity? So last week, and again, I already gave a little bit of background, but just to give the point here, and I only have, I'm going to lay my cards out here today. Um, I, I have two points. So if you're a note, note taker, I'm going to say a lot of things. You can write those down, but I have two points. I want to be very clear. I want to be very simple. First point is this. Um, the foundation of our salvation is God's love for us. The foundation of our salvation is God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God knows the deepest, darkest parts of us and he loves us and he's provided for us a way for salvation in his son. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? All of Scripture speaks of God's grace and his mercy and his love, and his love moved him to send his son. Jesus, 
is love for us and the Father moved him to walk through the pain and the difficulty that he had to go through in being born into a world that he created, he upholds, he sustains, he holds together, which in my mind doesn't really, it's hard to compute. That the one who scripture says holds everything together was somehow holding the, the cross together as he's dying on it. To the people he's created, who he, he had called out in Abraham to himself, the descendants that he had blessed, rejected him, put him to death. And he went through all that because he loves us. Our salvation begins and ends in his love for us. Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. His resurrection from the dead so that we may have life in him. God loves us. Because he loves us, he provides for us, he cares for us, he brings to completion what he started in us. That spiritual maturity is not what we do, but how faithful we are with where we are. We don't have to build this massive thing to be spiritually mature. It's more connected with how much faith I have in Jesus, how much I am trusting him with my life now, how much I'm interacting with the, the, the seemingly insignificant conversations I have in life. And, and as we grow and as we mature, we never move off of God's love for us and the gospel. We never move away from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus for us in the gospel. It is our foundation. But we progress in maturity seemingly based on something that we get to choose to do. And we're going to find that in John 14. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to be in John 14, which is in the middle of what's, or the beginning of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. And Jesus says something in this Upper Room Discourse that speaks to the nature of mankind and how we make decisions in life. So just to give us a little bit of backstory so we know where we are, John 13 uh, is where this Upper Room Discourse starts. And in that upper room discourse, this is a time period right before Jesus' death. So in the book of John, it's, it's broken up in, in pretty clear segments. He arrives, he ministers among the people, he confronts the leadership, and then he speaks to his disciples. And then he dies and ri rises again. And right before John 13 is a conversation that he has with some leaders in the Jews. And if you look at uh, verse 41, he said, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, and I want you to circle that loved, the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So Jesus was ministering, he was speaking, he was 
these, there was people who were being persuaded as to who he was, but they were not able to leave the positions that they were. They were not able to make the decision to follow him because they loved the glory that comes from man rather than that was from God. So that right after this statement, Jesus talks about how he came to save the world. Then he gets into his upper room discourse, which starts with the washing of feet. So the savior of the world, the, the rabbi, the great rabbi, the one who's been doing all these miraculous healings, he's got these 12 uh, knuckleheads following him. And they come in to a room to have a Passover meal, and he begins by putting himself in the place of a servant. And he's washing their feet, and you know, we have that, that crazy interaction with, with uh, Peter, who's like, no, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Can't do that. Well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Well, then wash my whole body. Well, you don't need to wash your whole body. Just your, Come on, Peter, just a little bit, stay off the extremes. Let's just do this. And then Jesus says to his disciples in verse uh, 12, he says, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you example that you, shall, you should do just as I have done. He's teaching them. He's given to these men something that they need. Then he goes on into verse 34, a new commandment I give you. And I'm going to be moving quick through, quickly through here. So um, he says that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is doing something to them. He's showing them what love looks like. He's showing them what leadership looks like. He's showing them what a follower of Jesus looks like, someone who's willing to put themselves in the servant's position, get dirty, be, be humiliated in some sense, and someone who's called to love one another the way in which he's loved them. So as he's doing this, he's speaking to them. They don't get it. They don't understand, but he's still giving to them what they need at the time that they need it. And in chapter 14, which is where we're going to mostly land, he begins talking about how he's leaving. I'm going to go away from you. Uh, my, my fathers, we're building, a, we're building a place. There's many rooms. There's a place for you to go. And then one of his disciples says, well, how do we, how do we get there? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way to get to, to the Father. I am the only way of salvation. You're not going to get salvation apart from me. It comes through me. And he keeps on talking. And they, these, these guys have this discussion about we want to see the Father. And he says, well, surely if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he says something in verse 15 of chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask my father and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet in a little while. The world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Now, what Jesus says here is something that is extremely important in the life of a believer. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is a cause and effect. And really, it's my second point here. The engine of our maturity is our love for Jesus. The way in which we grow and progress in the Christian life is not becoming more and more and more holy and righteous and better than other people. It is more and more in love with Jesus, following Jesus, trusting Jesus, and then he begins to make me be seen like him. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If I want to be mature, I have to be deeply in love with Jesus. All right, so you can go home now. <laughs> See, Jesus is, is, is doing and he's giving something to his disciples, and the way in which he's doing it is revealing a whole lot for us. Right? He's come into the world, he's trusting his Father. And he comes into a place, for the most part, by and large, people reject him or just want him for his stuff. I want you for the things you can do for me. As soon as I get it, I'm done. There are a few people who say, you know what? Yes, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the person I want to follow. And you have my entire life. I will go to battle for you. I will die for you. I am fine. And even those who make that statement, when they're put in a compromising position, deny him. So he's walking into this room with 12 men, one of whom he knows is going to betray him. The other 11, he knows, is go are going to deny him. He's walking into a room with men who he's, he's going to be left alone to go through the pain and the sorrow and the misery and the, and the hurt of what the Lord has laid before him to do for us in our salvation. And as he's doing that, he starts not by, hey, wake up, pay attention, you've got, you got to get this right, guys, you're going to mess up in the future, you get, you get, no. He starts it by washing their feet, loving them, caring for them, providing for them. Not only that, knowing Judas was going to betray him, knowing that his disciples were going to leave him, he begins to give them words of comfort that they can use after their betrayal. He's trying to equip them knowing they're going to betray him. 
He's showcasing what true love is. He's giving to them exactly what they need at great cost to himself. So he speaks to them. He gives them. Guys, this is what this is about. There's a kingdom coming. I'm bringing it. And that kingdom is marked with love. Marked by righteousness. Marked by people who follow what the Lord is asking of them. Marked by people like I read in Psalm 15. Who don't praise the wicked. Who speak truth in their heart. Who are honest and not trying to take advantage of people. Who are working for the better of other people, not for themselves. Who the life of God is being seen in them. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. In that context, the commandment is love one another as I loved you. How has he just loved them? Well, he served them, and then he did the, he gave them what they needed the most, even though they were about to betray him. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about loving them, providing for them, caring for them, sacrificing for them. And as he's speaking all these things, and he's talking, I mean, we have this, this beautiful passage, John 15, abiding in, the, in, in, in Christ, being connected to him. If you're going to produce fruit, you have to be connected to me. But even there, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Love me and you will keep my commandments. My commandment is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is not using some type of tactic of manipulation for his people. We probably all have had someone like that in our lives. Well, if you really loved me, you would do this. If you actually cared about me, you would do this. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is speaking to a deep-seated reality in the life of humankind. That we choose and we make decisions based on what we love. What we love drives everything, and it's how we've been created. And this is not just coming out of my mind. You can, you can go research Augustine. You can go read John Owen. You can go read Jonathan Edwards, Religious Affections. Lots of big books you could spend time reading, or you could just take my word for it. But God's created us with a a few capacities in our being when we start interacting with inner information in the world and making decisions. We have our mind. It's a fact-gathering uh, 
mechanism. Gain information. We take information. That information is filtered through our conscience. Good, bad. That conscience leads to the affections, our love. And then we pick the things that we love. And a lot of us love different things. Some of us love precision. Some of us love being right. Some Some of us love Toyotas. Some of us love Five Guys, beef. Um, and some of us, never mind. Um, but if you were to look at every decision you make, everything that you do, and you were to evaluate on the decision-making process, you would find it always results in me making a decision based on what I love. Even if it is, well, I made that decision because I was afraid people were going to be upset with me. What does that tell me? I love the opinion of other people rather than following what I know to be right. So what does it go back to that first statement I had you circle? They were afraid to follow him and they couldn't do it because they did what? They loved the glory that comes from man rather than that of God. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples, trying to give them something that they can utilize with their life, is helping them understand the nature of decision-making, the nature of of life, and how you're going to actually follow me. And it's clearly not by trying to keep the rules. No one's doing that. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But we are called to keep his commandments and obey him. But I keep on trying to do that, and I keep on messing up, so what's going on? Well, it's an issue with disordered affections, disordered desires, disordered loves. And if I love Jesus, and I truly love him, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to follow him. I'm going to begin to do the things that he wants to do, and when I mess up, I'm going to be really upset about it. And I'm going to seek to, to, to make amends for it. Then I'm going to find out he's already made the amends for it. And I'm going to receive it. And then we're going to keep on going. What I love determines what I do. And this is, this is not anything really new in history. And it's not even new for what Jesus has done. Because throughout the scriptures, Jesus showcases he is doing what he loves. He is He loves the Father. So he follows in what the Father desires. You think I'm talking crazy? We can go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Who for the joy, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to your point of shedding blood. So Hebrews is saying, look, look to Jesus, see what he did, follow him, follow after him. And he's pointing to what Jesus did in the cross, going to the cross, with the purpose he went through it is because of the joy that was set before him, the love that he had. What was the joy that was set before him? God the Father. Returning to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. 
the joy that was set before him met, allowed him to make the decisions. And we can go into a lot of stuff because he's also fully God and fully man. And yes, but he followed after what God was asking him to do because he loved the Father. You love me as I've loved the Father. You will do even greater things and I will give you a helper. All these things are coming together and he's speaking to us. So if you want to be mature, it's not by knowing more. There's a lot of immature people who come out of seminary. There's a lot of immature PhDs. I would say I was one of them, but I don't have a PhD. Maturity comes from a deep love for Jesus. A desire for him. And I mean, we could just keep on illustrating this in all sorts of ways. Like, when you had your first love, infatuation or whatever you want to call it, you did everything for that person. You love your children. You do everything for them, even when they don't agree with what they're doing, but you, you shift your life to provide for them. And when you love Jesus, when you love God, it changes the way you make decisions. So I really want to just leave us with a question that this is just, you have to ask yourself, who slash what do I love? Now this, again, is not to make you feel ashamed. Because I think in many ways we can all say, well, I don't love the right things. Oftentimes I don't love the right things. That's just reality. Same here. Sometimes I love my comfort more than what I should actually do. Sometimes I like convenience rather than doing the hard thing. Sometimes I miss the mark because my love is after me. So this is something that we should ask all of ourselves, an inventory of ourselves, especially at the beginning of a year, oftentimes in a day. Lord, what? What am I putting in front of you? What am I following after? And it's an easy thing for us to start off with our loves and our affections pointed in the right direction and then slowly move off to something else. It happens all the time. Even there's a church in 
revelation that has that against them. Church in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those that call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. What does he say after this? I don't want anything to do with you anymore. No. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, change your mind, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you don't unless you repent. For the Ephesians, their love became knowledge, truth, theological precision. And they missed the Savior that it speaks about. God doesn't come and say, you're condemned. Yeah, I'm going to probably take away your influence. You're not going to really be effective anymore in, my, in what I've asked you to do in the kingdom. That's fine. I will find someone else to fill that gap. But he leads with compassion. He leads with a call and an openness. He leads with a call back to what exactly they need, which will actually fulfill them. And I could think, like, the Ephesians here. I mean, I've been there myself. I know many people who have been there. There is a, there is just a, a, a dreariness with following the Lord. When it is all about just, man, I gotta know this, 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 I gotta, I gotta make sure that's, that's not, well, that's a little bit off theologically, you gotta fix that, you know, that's not, you know, and there's just this lack of joy, lack of vibrance, lack of, of what we experienced when we first found our Savior. What a tragedy. When what we need is right before us. Repent. Change your mind. Ask the Lord Lord, my love is not good. My affections are towards the wrong things. And I don't even know how to begin to change them. All I know is that I loved you, you loved me, and I'm missing it, and I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up. Please help me. And I'm going to start doing what someone who loves someone does. I'm going to start getting to know you. This is what? 
Bible. This is God's word. This speaks of who God is. This is, this is a letter that showcases that God is not a distant, angry grandfather, always upset with every single thing that you do, but he is a compassionate, loving, forgiving God. I mean, the first time he even said anything about himself, God, the God, the Lord, the Lord, a God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love, rich in faithfulness. He is holy. Who will by no means clear the guilty? But the first thing I want you to know is I'm compassionate and gracious. This speaks of, of, of what he loves, what he desires, what he wants to see. And I really don't care if we as a church build some massive program for something. If we miss people genuinely experiencing the love of God in their life and genuinely loving him and finding transformation. Because if we miss that second thing, we, nothing that we did really matters. God is alive. He is real. He really loves you. And if we're going to claim to be mature, it is not in the amount of theological knowledge that we know or how many scriptures we can memorize or say off the, off the top of our head. It's rooted in how much I love the Savior. How beautiful he is. How lovely he is. How much more desired he is than gold or honey or Bitcoin. I don't know what it is. Costco membership, I don't know. Whatever thing we place there, health, wellness, large friend group, spouse that's doing what I want them to do, children that never do anything wrong or embarrass me, If I'm placing any of those things before my God, I'm missing it. There's a, there's a guy that once said, and help, just really helped me. He says, you can have your problems on one hand. You can have Jesus on the other hand. If my sin and my failures and all the things that I'm, I'm dealing with and all the stuff that's going on in my life out of circumstance or whatever is over here and is capturing my attention, I miss Jesus. But if I put my focus on Jesus and I trust him and I seek him and I love him and I go after him and all the stuff that's going on in my life that he says he will take care of, he will provide for, he will help you through, he will walk you through, he's not He's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. He has a plan for you. He's prepared them beforehand. He will finish the work that he started. He will provide for his children, even like he does for the sparrow. 
and I keep my focus on Jesus, you love me, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with what's going on, but I know that you love me. And Jesus, you love me, and I really am angry right now, and I want to lash out at this person. But Jesus, you love me, and I need you. He begins to shape in you in ways that you never understood that he would do. And then you begin to have joy in the middle of those things. Because if I lose all that stuff, I still have Jesus, and I'm good. So as we begin this year, as we move forward in 2024, all the stuff that is ahead of us that everyone's all panicking about, and I just want us to know that God loves us and that you can really grow this year if you focus on loving God more. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you've fought our battles, that you have won the war, that you have finished the work, that you offer any freely to all who would come to you, Lord. That those you save will never be snatched out of your hand. That more so, you give us an opportunity. That you desire a relationship with us and you do not demand us to be robots before you, but Lord, you you call us to choose to follow after you in love. Lord, our hearts grow cold often. We're prone to wonder, and you know it. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that you would enlarge in our minds and our visions, that you would allow us to see your glory in a way we've never seen before, that you increase our love for yourself, Lord. That you show us where we are following after those things that cannot provide what only you can provide. That you encourage us, uplift us, grow us and shape us. So that you be seen. Trust you and praise you. In your name.